Mormon Chapter 1 After tracing this history of the Nephites for over a thousand years, Mormon is now ready to give us some of the bristling and brittle facts concerning his own life. This is one of the most remarkable biographies in the entire Nephite history. And now I, Mormon, make a record of the things which I have both seen and heard, and call it the Book of Mormon. Mormon says this record is an account of the things he has personally witnessed, having both seen and heard the things he will describe. And about the time that Ammoron hid up the records unto the Lord, he came unto me, I being about ten years of age, and I began to be learned somewhat after the manner of the learning of my people. And Ammoron said unto me, I perceive that thou art a sober child, and art quick to observe. Mormon wastes no time on preliminaries, but plunges right into the first remarkable events in his life, which occurred when he was ten years old. By the way, a portrayal of Mormon being presented to Ammoron appears in volume 4, page 139. Mormon says he was already beginning to get a grasp on the learning of the Nephites, which included both Hebrew and an efficient form of Egyptian. It was at this time that Ammoron, the Nephite historian, came to Mormon and gave the lad a heavy assignment. Ammoron said he had observed that Mormon was a sober child, but quick to observe what was happening around him. We gained the impression that Ammoron had also probably received an instruction from the Lord concerning this young Mormon. Therefore, when ye are about twenty and four years old, I would that ye should remember the things that ye have observed concerning this people. And when ye are of that age, go to the land Antum, unto a hill which shall be called Shim. And there have I deposited unto the Lord all the sacred engravings concerning this people. We observe that Ammoron wanted Mormon to wait until he was twenty-four years old before going to the land of Antum and seeking out a hill called Shim in which the entire historical treasure of the Nephites was hidden. And behold, ye shall take the plates of Nephi unto yourself, and the remainder shall ye leave in the place where they are. And ye shall engrave on the plates of Nephi all the things that ye have observed concerning this people. Although Mormon left all of the Nephite records in the hill Shim except the plates of Nephi, he later had to rescue the entire Nephite library to keep it from falling into the hands of the hostile Lamanites, and this is described in Mormon chapter 4 verse 23. And I, Mormon, being a descendant of Nephi, and my father's name was Mormon, I remembered the things which Ammoron commanded me. This verse gives us two significant facts. First, Mormon was a descendant of Nephi, and second, his father was also named Mormon. And it came to pass that I, being eleven years old, was carried by my father into the land southward, even to the land of Zarahemla. The whole face of the land had become covered with buildings, and the people were as numerous almost as it were the sand of the sea. The fact that Mormon was taken to the land southward at the age of eleven tells us that his birthplace was undoubtedly in the land northward. 
He apparently had not traveled extensively and was amazed on this journey to see the whole face of the land covered with buildings and the population of the people like the sands of the sea. And it came to pass in this year there began to be a war between the Nephites, who consisted of the Nephites and the Jacobites and the Josephites and the Zoramites, and this war was between the Nephites and the Lamanites and the Lemuelites and the Ishmaelites. Now the Lamanites and the Lemuelites and the Ishmaelites were called Lamanites, and the two parties were Nephites and Lamanites. And it came to pass that the war began to be among them in the borders of Zarahemla, by the waters of Sidon. And it came to pass that the Nephites had gathered together a great number of men, even to exceed the number of thirty thousand. And it came to pass that they did have in this same year a number of battles, in which the Nephites did beat the Lamanites, and did slay many of them. These battles were no small skirmishes. To have around thirty thousand men fighting in hand-to-hand -hand combat on each side would constitute a terrible onslaught. And it came to pass that the Lamanites withdrew their design, and there was peace settled in the land. And peace did remain for the space of about four years, that there was no bloodshed. Although the Nephites won the battle, followed by four years of peace, it did not improve the level of wretched wickedness on either side. But wickedness did prevail upon the face of the whole land, insomuch that the Lord did take away his beloved disciples. And the work of miracles and of healing did cease because of the iniquity of the people. After the three translated Nephites had labored among the people for nearly three hundred years, they finally gave up. The wickedness and debauchery of the people was so atrocious that the further manifestations of spiritual blessings was impossible. And there were no gifts from the Lord, and the Holy Ghost did not come upon any because of their wickedness and unbelief. And I, being fifteen years of age, and being somewhat of a sober mind, therefore I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. Mormon was just about the age of Joseph Smith when Joseph received his first vision. Mormon also had his first vision at about this same age. And I did endeavor to preach unto this people, but my mouth was shut, and I was forbidden that I should preach unto them. For behold, they had willfully rebelled against their God, and the beloved disciples were taken away out of the land because of their iniquity. But I did remain among them, but I was forbidden to preach unto them because of the hardness of their hearts. And because of the hardness of their hearts, the land was cursed for their sake. No doubt Mormon was surprised, if not shocked, when the Lord would not let him preach to the people. Under the circumstances, it would have been like casting pearls before swine. The wicked people would probably have turned on him and perhaps even killed him. The Lord had other plans for Mormon. And these Gadianton robbers who were among the Lamanites did infest the land, insomuch that the inhabitants thereof began to hide up their treasures in the earth, and they became slippery because the Lord had cursed the land, 
that they could not hold them nor retain them again. And it came to pass that there were sorceries and witchcrafts and magics, and the power of the evil one was wrought upon all the face of the land, even unto the fulfilling of all the words of Abinadi, and also Samuel the Lamanite. It must have been a frightening experience for these wicked people to hide up their wealth in the ground or in caves and have it mysteriously disappear, and they attributed it to sorceries, witchcraft, or magic. Now, Mormon chapter 2. After the terrible defeat of the Lamanites four years earlier, suddenly Mormon found himself in a virtually impossible situation. And it came to pass in that same year there began to be a war again between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And notwithstanding I, being young, was large in stature, therefore the people of Nephi appointed me that I should be their leader or the leader of their armies. Even though Mormon was barely sixteen, he says he was large of stature, and he must have done something to attract public attention, because in this crisis he was elected to be the commander of the Nephite military. Therefore it came to pass that in my sixteenth year I did go forth at the head of an army of the Nephites against the Lamanites. Therefore three hundred and twenty and six years had passed away, and it came to pass that in the three hundred and twenty and seventh year the Lamanites did come upon us with exceeding great power, insomuch that they did frighten my armies, therefore they would not fight, and they began to retreat towards the north countries. Mormon was barely sixteen by 326 A.D. When the war broke out, Mormon found himself commander over a huge cluster of contemptible cowards. Instead of protecting their homes and families, they fled toward the north countries, which probably means toward the narrow neck of land. And it came to pass that we did come to the city of Angola, and we did take possession of the city, and make preparations to defend ourselves against the Lamanites. And it came to pass that we did fortify the city with our might, but notwithstanding all our fortifications, the Lamanites did come upon us, and did drive us out of the city. And they did also drive us forth out of the land of David. And we marched forth and came to the land of Joshua, which was in the borders west by the seashore. Mormon was able to remobilize his army at the city of Angola, but they had barely begun to build its defenses when the Lamanites were upon them and the Nephites fled like a flock of wild birds toward the next city. It turned out to be the city of David. But there the same thing happened. They fled once more and ended up in the northwest territory in a land called Joshua near the seashore. And it came to pass that we did gather in our people as fast as it were possible, that we might get them together in one body. But behold, the land was filled with robbers and with Lamanites. And notwithstanding the great destruction which hung over my people, they did not repent of their evil doings. Therefore there was blood and carnage spread throughout all the face of the land, both on the part of the Nephites and also on the part of the Lamanites. And it was one complete revolution throughout all the face of the land. It turned out that the Nephites had fled to a land of blood and carnage, 
where he says there was a complete revolution throughout the land. And now the Lamanites had a king, and his name was Aaron. And he came against us with an army of forty and four thousand. And behold, I withstood him with forty and two thousand. And it came to pass that I beat him with my army, that he fled before me. And behold, all this was done, and three hundred and thirty years had passed away. And it came to pass that the Nephites began to repent of their iniquity, and began to cry, even as had been prophesied by Samuel the prophet. For behold, no man could keep that which was his own, for the thieves, and the robbers, and the murderers, and the magic art, and the witchcraft which was in the land. Thus there began to be a mourning and a lamentation in all the land, because of these things, and more especially among the people of Nephi. It was now 331 A.D., and the 44,000 Lamanites had so frightened the Nephites that they did finally come to their senses long enough to mobilize 42,000 to try to defend themselves and their families. And it came to pass that when I, Mormon, saw their lamentation and their mourning and their sorrow before the Lord, my heart did begin to rejoice within me, knowing the mercies and the long-suffering of the Lord. Therefore, supposing that he would be merciful unto them, that they would again become a righteous people. But behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance, because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in sin. And they did not come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits, but they did curse God and wish to die. Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. What a bitter disappointment it must have been to Mormon to think the people were mourning because of their wickedness and then discovered that their sorrow was not unto repentance, but simply a result of their fear that they might be defeated. And it came to pass that my sorrow did return unto me again, and I saw that the day of grace was past with them, both temporally and spiritually. For I saw thousands of them hewn down in open rebellion against their God, and heaped up as dung upon the face of the land. And thus three hundred and forty and four years had passed away. And it came to pass that in the three hundred and forty and fifth year the Nephites did begin to flee before the Lamanites, and they were pursued until they came even to the land of Jashon, before it was possible to stop them in their retreat. The record indicates that there must have been a whole series of violent battles extending over several years. We speculate that it was during these terrible years that Mormon found a wife, and that his son Moroni was born to her. There is a further possibility that during all of the fighting, famine, disease, and destruction, Mormon lost his wife. Mormon at this time was in his early thirties, but he seems to have had only one son, and since he never mentions his wife or any other members of his family, we assume he may have lost his wife during this early period, and for this reason there were no other children born to Mormon. Finally, in 345 A.D., 
When Alma was 34 and thousands of the Nephites had been slaughtered, the Lamanites drove them further northward. Mormon said he was not able to stop them until they came to the city of Jashon. And now the city of Jashon was near the land where Ammon had deposited the records unto the Lord, that they might not be destroyed. And behold, I had gone according to the word of Ammon, and taken the plates of Nephi, and did make a record according to the words of Ammon. And upon the plates of Nephi I did make a full account of all the wickedness and abominations. But upon these plates I did forbear to make a full account of their wickedness and abominations. For behold, a continual scene of wickedness and abominations has been before mine eyes ever since I have been sufficient to behold the ways of man. What a miserable existence for a servant of God. Ever since he was little more than a child, he had witnessed nothing but a continual scene of wickedness and human abominations. And woe is me because of their wickedness, for my heart has been filled with sorrow because of their wickedness all my days. Nevertheless, I know that I shall be lifted up at the last day. And it came to pass that in this year the people of Nephi again were hunted and driven. And it came to pass that we were driven forth until we had come northward to the land which was called Shem. Apparently Mormon did not have much time to write on the plates when a horde of Lamanites raided the Nephites and drove them to the north once more. But Mormon finally halted the retreat and mobilized them at the city of Shem. He also gathered in as many of the civilian population as possible to prevent them from being slaughtered. And it came to pass that we did fortify the city of Shem, and we did gather in our people as much as it were possible, that perhaps we might save them from destruction. And it came to pass in the three hundred and forty and sixth year they began to come upon us again. And it came to pass that I did speak unto my people, and did urge them with great energy that they would stand boldly before the Lamanites and fight for their wives and their children and their houses and their homes. And my words did arouse them somewhat to vigor, insomuch that they did not flee from before the Lamanites, but did stand with boldness against them. When the next army of the Lamanites drew near, Mormon gave one of the greatest talks of his life. He pleaded with the Nephites to fight for their wives and their children. As the Lamanites came upon them, the Nephites stood firm and did not flee. And it came to pass that we did contend with an army of thirty thousand against an army of fifty thousand. And it came to pass that we did stand before them with such firmness that they did flee from before us. And it came to pass that when they had fled, we did pursue them with our armies, and did meet them again, and did beat them. Nevertheless, the strength of the Lord was not with us. Yea, we were left to ourselves, that the Spirit of the Lord did not abide in us. Therefore we had become weak like unto our brethren." The impact of Mormon's oration is reflected in the fact that the size of the Nephite army was only 30,000 compared to the 50,000 in the army of the Lamanites. It was a great victory, but the Nephites were fighting on the basis of their own strength, 
and not the inspired strength of the Lord. Therefore Mormon knew this temporary triumph might not endure. And my heart did sorrow because of this the great calamity of my people, because of their wickedness and their abominations. But behold, we did go forth against the Lamanites and the robbers of Gadianton, until we had again taken possession of the lands of our inheritance. However, the vigor of the Nephites did last long enough to begin taking over the land of their inheritance. And in the three hundred and fiftieth year we made a treaty with the Lamanites and the robbers of Gadianton, in which we did get the lands of our inheritance divided. These two deadly adversaries seesawed back and forth until 350 A.D., when the Lamanites and their allies, the Gadianton robbers, agreed to let the Nephites have the land northward if they would surrender to the Lamanites and Gadiantons the entire land southward. So it was on this basis that a treaty was accepted. And the Lamanites did give unto us the land northward, yea, even to the narrow passage which led into the land southward, and we did give unto the Lamanites all the land southward. Mormon chapter 3 Even though the Lamanites had entered into a treaty to give the land northward to the Nephites, they secretly planned to take over the whole western hemisphere. The Lamanites took ten years to prepare themselves for this mammoth conquest. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did not come to battle again until ten years more had passed away. And behold, I had employed my people the Nephites in preparing their lands and their arms against the time of battle. It is obvious that Mormon had no expectation that the Lamanites would live up to their treaty. He knew their greed would never be actually satisfied and he fully expected that eventually the Lamanites would launch a massive attack against the land northward. Meanwhile, he tried to prepare the people with arms and forts to meet the inevitable assault. And it came to pass that the Lord did say unto me, Cry unto this people, Repent ye, and come unto me, and be ye baptized, and build up again my church, and ye shall be spared. And I did cry unto this people, but it was in vain. And they did not realize that it was the Lord that had spared them, and granted unto them a chance for repentance. And behold, they did harden their hearts against the Lord their God. If the Nephites had learned anything from their history, it should have been the fact that they could not defeat the Lamanites without the help of God. This was Mormon's mission to arouse the spiritual quality of the people, if at all possible, but his mission failed. And it came to pass that after this tenth year had passed away, making in the whole three hundred and sixty years from the coming of Christ, the king of the Lamanites sent an epistle unto me, which gave unto me to know that they were preparing to come again to battle against us. And it came to pass that I did cause my people that they should gather themselves together at the land Desolation, to a city which was in the borders by the narrow pass which led into the land southward. 
and there we did place our armies, that we might stop the armies of the Lamanites, that they might not get possession of any of our lands. Therefore we did fortify against them with all our force. Nevertheless the Nephites were determined to make the Lamanites abide by their treaty, and they fought ferociously to drive them out of the land northward. And it came to pass that in the three hundred and sixty and first year the Lamanites did come down to the city of desolation to battle against us. And it came to pass that in that year we did beat them, insomuch that they did return to their own lands again. And in the three hundred and sixty and second year they did come down again to battle, and we did beat them again, and did slay a great number of them, and their dead were cast into the sea. After two victories defending the city of desolation, the pride and arrogance of the Nephites knew no bounds. They determined to take the offensive in the open territory, and contrary to Mormon's advice, fiercely slaughter the Lamanites to avenge the losses of life which the Nephites had suffered in defending the city of desolation. And now, because of this great thing which my people, the Nephites, had done, they began to boast in their own strength, and began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. And they did swear by the heavens, and also by the throne of God, that they would go up to battle against their enemies and would cut them off from the face of the land. Mormon was heartsick as he saw the Nephites boasting of their strength and manifesting such a hatred toward the Lamanites that they swore by everything holy that they would go out and slaughter them and drive them from off the face of the land. Mormon was so disgusted with their arrogance and wickedness that he finally gave up. And it came to pass that I, Mormon, did utterly refuse from this time forth to be a commander and a leader of this people, because of their wickedness and abomination. Behold, I had led them, notwithstanding their wickedness, I had led them many times to battle, and had loved them according to the love of God which was in me with all my heart. And my soul had been poured out in prayer unto my God all the day long for them. Nevertheless, it was without faith, because of the hardness of their hearts. And thrice have I delivered them out of the hands of their enemies, and they have repented not of their sins. Now Mormon tells us how he concluded to abandon the Nephites to their fate. He says, and when they had sworn by all that had been forbidden them by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would go up unto their enemies to battle and avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren, behold, the voice of the Lord came unto me, saying, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And because this people repented not, after I had delivered them, behold, they shall be cut off from the face of the earth, and it came to pass that I utterly refused to go up against mine enemies, and I did even as the Lord had commanded me, and I did stand as an idle witness to manifest unto the world the things which I saw and heard, according to the manifestations of the Spirit which had testified of things to come.
Once Mormon had made up his mind to let the unfolding of events run their course, his mind became occupied with the events of later centuries when the Nephites would no longer exist as a people and the Lord would have to depend upon the surviving Lamanites and the invading Gentiles from Europe to accomplish God's purposes. And he knew that God's major objective in those coming centuries would be the restoration of the gospel. So Mormon says, Therefore I write unto you, Gentiles, and also unto you, house of Israel, when the work shall commence that ye shall be about to prepare to return to the land of your inheritance, yea, behold, I write unto all the ends of the earth, yea, unto you, twelve tribes of Israel, who shall be judged according to your works by the twelve whom Jesus chose to be his disciples in the land of Jerusalem. And I write also unto the remnant of this people, who shall also be judged by the twelve whom Jesus chose in this land. And they shall be judged by the other twelve whom Jesus chose in the land of Jerusalem. Now Mormon expresses his deepest concern for all these people, the Lamanites, the Jews, and the tribes of Israel. His greatest anxiety is that they will find their way to Jesus Christ. In the end, they will stand before the Savior to be judged of him, and nothing really counts as much as believing and obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these things doth the Spirit manifest unto me, therefore I write unto you all. And for this cause I write unto you, that ye may know that ye must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam. And ye must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil. And also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you. And also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witness besides him whom they saw and heard, that Jesus whom they slew, was the very Christ and the very God. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Mormon realizes that coming unto Christ is paramount for all of these people who have a claim on the Lord's covenant blessings. That is why he says, quote, I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, unquote. Mormon chapter 4. When the Nephites decided to ignore the advice of Mormon and avenge themselves on the Lamanites, they set themselves up for a real disaster. Mormon tells us what happened. And now it came to pass that in the three hundred and sixty and third year the Nephites did go up with their armies to battle against the Lamanites out of the land desolation. And it came to pass that the armies of the Nephites were driven back again to the land of desolation. And while they were yet weary, a fresh army of the Lamanites did come upon them, and they had a sore battle, insomuch that the Lamanites did take possession of the city desolation and did slay many of the Nephites, and did take many prisoners. 
and the remainder did flee and join the inhabitants of the city Tiancum. Now the city Tiancum lay in the borders by the seashore, and it was also near the city Desolation. And it was because the armies of the Nephites went up unto the Lamanites that they began to be smitten. For were it not for that, the Lamanites could have had no power over them. The survivors from the city of Desolation fled to a nearby city closer to the seashore, which was called Tiancum. If the Nephites had left well enough alone, they would still be in their headquarters city of Desolation, and the lives of many Nephites would have been preserved. Furthermore, their wives and children who were taken prisoners would still be free. But behold, the judgments of God will overtake the wicked, and it is by the wicked that the wicked are punished. For it is the wicked that stir up the hearts of the children of men unto bloodshed. In this verse, Mormon makes the point that when the Nephites had cultivated in their hearts such a wicked desire to avenge themselves on the Lamanites, the Nephites themselves were punished by the Lord because he allowed them to be defeated by the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did make preparations to come against the city Teancum. And it came to pass in the three hundred and sixty and fourth year, the Lamanites did come against the city Teancum, that they might take possession of the city Teancum also. At this point it is obvious that the Lamanites had adopted a policy of trying to take over the land northward city by city. The Nephites, no doubt, were beginning to realize this, and so they determined to strike back and try to recover both Teancum and Desolation. And it came to pass that they were repulsed and driven back by the Nephites. And when the Nephites saw that they had driven the Lamanites, they did again boast of their own strength. And they went forth in their own might and took possession again of the city Desolation. And now all these things had been done, and there had been thousands slain on both sides, both the Nephites and the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the three hundred and sixty and sixth year had passed away, and the Lamanites came again upon the Nephites to battle. And yet the Nephites repented not of the evil they had done, but persisted in their wickedness continually. And it is impossible for the tongue to describe or for man to write a perfect description of the horrible scene of the blood and carnage which was among the people, both of the Nephites and of the Lamanites. And every heart was hardened, so that they delighted in the shedding of blood continually. Beginning in 367 A.D., the avalanche of wickedness and murder became a horrible revolutionary movement among both Lamanites and Nephites. In fact, after the Lamanites had the advantage of being able to gather in reinforcements from the land southward to replace those who had been killed, the replacements for the Nephites was next to impossible because they were suffering one defeat after another. This discouraged any of the Nephites further north from coming down to help. So the reinforced Lamanites once more gained complete possession of Teancum and Desolation, thereby forcing the Nephites to flee further north. Very shortly they learned that many of the women and children who had been captured were sacrificed as thank offerings to the Lamanite idols. 
Later on, Moroni will give us a description of the fiendish suffering to which these Nephites were subjected as sacrificial victims. And there never had been so great wickedness among all the children of Lehi, nor even among all the house of Israel, according to the words of the Lord, as was among this people. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did take possession of the city Desolation, and this because their number did exceed the number of the Nephites. And they did also march forward against the city Teancum, and did drive the inhabitants forth out of her, and did take many prisoners, both women and children, and did offer them up as sacrifices unto their idol gods. And it came to pass that in the three hundred and sixty and seventh year, the Nephites, being angry because the Lamanites had sacrificed their women and their children, that they did go against the Lamanites with exceeding great anger, insomuch that they did beat again the Lamanites and drive them out of their lands. The outrage of the apostate Nephites when they learned that the Lamanites had abused and killed their women and children put renewed fire in them. They rose up with such fury that they drove the Lamanites completely out of the land northward. This happened in 367 A.D. And the Lamanites did not come again against the Nephites until the three hundred and seventy and fifth year. And in this year they did come down against the Nephites with all their powers, and they were not numbered because of the greatness of their number. And from this time forth did the Nephites gain no power over the Lamanites, but began to be swept off by them even as a dew before the sun. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did come down against the city Desolation, and there was an exceedingly sore battle fought in the land Desolation, in the which they did beat the Nephites. The Lamanites did not come back into the land northward until 375 A.D., but they came back like a horde of poisonous serpents. So many came swarming back into the land northward that the Nephites could not even number them. A great battle was fought at the city of Desolation where the Nephites were driven from the city and the survivors tried in every way to escape. In verse 18, Mormon says that this was the turning point of the great genocidal civil war that would not end until 385 A.D., when the Nephites would become practically extinct. And they fled again from before them, and they came to the city Boaz. And there they did stand against the Lamanites with exceeding boldness, insomuch that the Lamanites did not beat them until they had come again the second time. And when they had come the second time, the Nephites were driven and slaughtered with an exceedingly great slaughter. Their women and their children were again sacrificed unto idols. The Nephites took refuge in the city of Boaz, and their defenses held during the first attack, but not the second. Once again, the women and children of the Nephites were sacrificed to the pagan gods of the Lamanites. And it came to pass that the Nephites did again flee from before them, taking all the inhabitants with them, both in towns and villages. And now I, Mormon, seeing that the Lamanites were about to overthrow the land, therefore I did go to the hill Shim, and did take up all the records which Ammoron had hid up unto the Lord. 
The Nephites had now fled northward to the place which was near Mormon's original home site. Not far away was the hill Shim, where Amaron had hidden up the Nephite records and treasures. Mormon therefore opened up the cave where they were hidden and carried them all away. Mormon Chapter 5 It will be recalled from Mormon chapter 3, verse 16, that the Lord had commanded Mormon to withdraw as the military commander-in-chief over the Nephites. That had occurred 13 years earlier, when Mormon was only 51 years old. Now Mormon had reached 64 years of age, but the Nephites had never been in such a complete disarray. Apparently the Lord did not object when Mormon felt compelled to return as a volunteer to provide some kind of leadership for the retreating Nephites. And it came to pass that I did go forth among the Nephites, and did repent of the oath which I had made that I would no more assist them. And they gave me command again of their armies, for they looked upon me as though I could deliver them from their afflictions. Mormon was shocked as he went out among the people and discovered that they thought they had some magic formula to save them from their afflictions. But behold, I was without hope, for I knew the judgments of the Lord which should come upon them. For they repented not of their iniquities, but did struggle for their lives without calling upon that being who created them. Mormon could see that these wicked people had no hope of saving themselves because they seemed to revel in their wickedness almost as though they had a death wish. Mormon knew that was exactly where they were headed if they did not turn from their wickedness and repent. And it came to pass that the Lamanites did come against us as we had fled to the city of Jordan. But behold, they were driven back that they did not take the city at that time. And it came to pass that they came against us again, and we did maintain the city. And there were also other cities which were maintained by the Nephites, which strongholds did cut them off that they could not get into the country which lay before us to destroy the inhabitants of our land. It is interesting that the Nephites were able to defend themselves in the city of Jordan and repulse the Lamanite attack which followed very shortly. Mormon quickly urged the Nephites to fortify a chain of cities from the sea east to the sea west and thereby cut the Lamanites off from any further advance. But it came to pass that whatsoever lands we had passed by and the inhabitants thereof were not gathered in, were destroyed by the Lamanites, and their towns and villages and cities were burned with fire. And thus, three hundred and seventy and nine years passed away. And it came to pass that in the three hundred and eightieth year the Lamanites did come again against us to battle, and we did stand against them boldly, but it was all in vain, for so great were their numbers that they did tread the people of the Nephites under their feet. Mormon's policy was to gather as many of the civilian population as possible and push them ahead of the Nephite armies, because the Lamanites massacred all who were left behind and completely devastated the cities and towns as fast as they were able to take possession of them. Mormon hoped to hold back the Lamanites at the Jordan line of defense, 
But in 380 A.D., a bulging mass of Lamanites broke through the Jordan line, and the Nephites who escaped fled in every direction, trying to save themselves. And it came to pass that we did again take to flight, and those whose flight was swifter than the Lamanites did escape, and those whose flight did not exceed the Lamanites were swept down and destroyed. And now behold, I, Mormon, do not desire to harrow up the souls of men in casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before mine eyes. But I, knowing that these things must surely be made known, and that all things which are hid must be revealed upon the housetops, and also that a knowledge of these things must come unto the remnant of these people, and also unto the Gentiles, who the Lord hath said should scatter this people, and this people should be counted as not among them. Therefore I write a small abridgment, daring not to give a full account of the things which I have seen, because of the commandment which I have received, and also that ye might not have too great sorrow because of the wickedness of this people. From this time forward the Nephites fled like doomed refugees northward, Mormons said the slaughter and demonizing forces of the Lamanites was so horrible, he refused to try to describe it. And now behold, this I speak unto their seed, and also to the Gentiles who have care for the house of Israel, that realize and know from whence their blessings come. The whole situation had become so hopeless that Mormon made up his mind to spend his time writing to the remnant of the house of Jacob, that is, mostly the surviving Lamanites and the Gentiles who would eventually take over the Western Hemisphere. For I know that such will sorrow for the calamity of the house of Israel. Yea, they will sorrow for the destruction of this people. They will sorrow that this people had not repented that they might have been clasped in the arms of Jesus. Now these things are written unto the remnant of the house of Jacob, and they are written after this manner, because it is known of God that wickedness will not bring them forth unto them. And they are to be hid up unto the Lord, that they may come forth in his own due time. And this is the commandment which I have received. And behold, they shall come forth according to the commandment of the Lord, when he shall see fit in his wisdom. Mormon looks forward to the time when the Book of Mormon and other records will come forth in the latter days, incidental to the restoration of the gospel. And behold, they shall go unto the unbelieving of the Jews, and for this intent shall they go that they may be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the Father may bring about through his most beloved his great and eternal purpose in restoring the Jews, or all the house of Israel, to the land of their inheritance which the Lord their God hath given them, unto the fulfilling of his covenant. He knows that eventually the Jews will become Christians, but this will happen after the battle of Armageddon. And also that the seed of this people may more fully believe his gospel, which shall go forth unto them from the Gentiles. For this people shall be scattered 
and shall become a dark, a filthy, and a loathsome people, beyond the description of that which ever hath been amongst us, yea, even that which hath been among the Lamanites, and this because of their unbelief and idolatry. For behold, the Spirit of the Lord hath already ceased to strive with their fathers, and they are without Christ and God in the world, and they are driven about as chaff before the wind. Mormon also knows that the Gentiles will take the restored gospel to the remnant of his own people. However, before that happens, the Lamanites will have become a dark and filthy people, indulging themselves in the most apostate practices. We notice that the ruins of Latin America are nearly all from about 400 A.D. When the Nephite became extinct, the Lamanite temples deified serpents and show evidence of the lowest form of cannibalism and devil worship. They did not retain the slightest fragments of the gospel or the worship of Jesus Christ. They were once a delightsome people, and they had Christ for their shepherd. Yea, they were led even by God the Father. But now, behold, they are led about by Satan, even as chaff is driven before the wind, or as a vessel is tossed about upon the waves without sail or anchor, or without anything wherewith to steer her, and even as she is, so are they. And behold, the Lord hath reserved their blessings, which they might have received in the land, for the Gentiles who shall possess the land. Mormon reflects on the glorious opportunity the Lamanites had to follow Christ and build up a glorious Christian empire such as that which existed during the first two or three centuries after the coming of Christ. But they turned their souls over to Satan, and this compelled the Lord to take the blessings which the Lamanites could have had and shower them upon the Gentiles who would take over the land. But behold, it shall come to pass that they shall be driven and scattered by the Gentiles. And after they have been driven and scattered by the Gentiles, behold, then will the Lord remember the covenant which he made unto Abraham and unto all the house of Israel. And also the Lord will remember the prayers of the righteous which have been put up unto him for them. Mormon knew that for a long period of time the Gentiles would scatter and destroy millions of the Lamanites. It would only be after the remnant of the Lamanites had been reduced to the lowest level of existence that God would remember his promises to Abraham and would remember the seed of Lehi in America and the prayers of their prophets and leaders down through the centuries that eventually the Lord would remember them and rescue them. And then... O ye Gentiles, how can ye stand before the power of God, except ye shall repent and turn from your evil ways? Know ye not that ye are in the hands of God? Know ye not that he hath all power? And at his great command the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll? Therefore repent ye, and humble yourselves before him, lest he shall come out in justice against you, lest a remnant of the seed of Jacob shall go forth among you as a lion, and tear you in pieces, and there is none to deliver. 
Suddenly, Mormon shifts the focus from the Lamanites to the Gentiles. He says that in spite of all the blessings God will have heaped upon the Gentiles, they will have cultivated terribly evil ways that unless the Gentiles repent, the wrath of God will be poured out upon them. He is referring to the prophecy of Micah, which we discussed in 3 Nephi chapters 20 and 21. Mormon chapter 6. Mormon is now ready to record the most terrible epic of massive destruction in his long life of war, cruelty, suffering, apostasy, and bloodshed. In this chapter, Mormon says he will relate the final, quote, destruction of my people, the Nephites, unquote. And now I finish my record concerning the destruction of my people, the Nephites. And it came to pass that we did march forth before the Lamanites. The Nephite nation was in a shambles. They were fleeing in disorganized confusion ahead of the Lamanites. It seemed foolhardy to continue in this manner, with the Nephites being overtaken and slaughtered a few here and a few there. Mormon, therefore, had a proposal to make to the king of the Lamanites. And I, Mormon, wrote an epistle unto the king of the Lamanites, and desired of him that he would grant unto us that we might gather together our people unto the land of Comorah, by a hill which was called Comorah, and there we could give them battle. And it came to pass that the king of the Lamanites did grant unto me the thing which I desired. During the massive retreat northward, the Nephites were disorganized and losing men, women, and children who fell behind and were slaughtered by the Lamanites. Mormons saw that both time and distance were operating against the Nephites. He therefore sent a message back to the leader of the Lamanites, suggesting that both armies disengage for a period and then meet together for one great final battle at the foot of the hill Cumorah. The message came back that the king of the Lamanites agreed. And it came to pass that we did march forth to the land of Cumorah, and we did pitch our tents around about the hill Cumorah, and it was in a land of many waters, rivers, and fountains, and here we had hope to gain advantage over the Lamanites. And when three hundred and eighty and four years had passed away, we had gathered in all the remainder of our people unto the land of Cumorah. Mormon must have sent messengers out all along the line of the Nephite stragglers to meet at the foot of the hill Cumorah, and there they would set up a vast camp all about the hill. It is interesting that Cumorah is described as being in the land of many waters. This is the Book of Mormon language for lakes and rivers, which certainly describes the New England region. It was in this place that Mormon said he hoped he could gain some advantage over the Lamanites. But as far as we know, Mormon had never been to this place. Perhaps he was relying on the judgment of his reconnaissance soldiers, or he may have had a revelation from the Lord. It was now 385 A.D., which means Mormon had taken over four whole years to gather his decimated hosts of Nephites into this one place. And it came to pass that when we had gathered in all our people in one to the land of Cumorah, behold, 
I, Mormon, began to be old, and knowing it to be the last struggle of my people, and having been commanded of the Lord that I should not suffer the records which had been handed down by our fathers, which were sacred, to fall into the hands of the Lamanites, for the Lamanites would destroy them. Therefore I made this record out of the plates of Nephi, and hid up in the hill Cumorah all the records which had been entrusted to me by the hand of the Lord, save it were these few plates which I gave unto my son Moroni. By this time Mormon was around seventy-five years of age, and he says he, quote, began to be old, unquote. He therefore had all of the records and memorabilia of the Nephites placed in a cave of the hill which Oliver Cowdery later described. This description is cited by Brigham Young in the Journal of Discourses, volume 19, page 38. During this period, Mormon had completed his summary of the Nephite history, which comprises most of the Book of Mormon, and had placed the record in the cave. However, he turned over the few remaining plates to his son Moroni to finish the rest of the story. Meanwhile, Mormon had arranged to organize the Nephites into tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands after the pattern set forth in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 15. Mormon assigned his best warriors over each group of 10,000. Altogether, he had 230,000 shock troops ready to meet the Lamanites. However, this completely drained the military resources of the Nephites and left the women and children virtually unprotected in their tents. When the Nephites saw the tidal wave of Lamanites pouring down upon them, they were completely terrified, and thus the gigantic battle began. The Lamanites were taking no prisoners. All of the Nephites must die, men, women, and children. And it came to pass that my people, with their wives and their children, did now behold the armies of the Lamanites marching towards them, and with that awful fear of death which fills the breasts of all the wicked, did they await to receive them. And it came to pass that they came to battle against us, and every soul was filled with terror because of the greatness of their numbers. And it came to pass that they did fall upon my people with the sword, and with the bow, and with the arrow, and with the axe, and with all manner of weapons of war, in a single day, the whole population of Nephites were subjected to a genocidal massacre. Mormon and his 10,000 led the Nephite hosts and took the brunt of the attack. Here is Mormon's account of one of the worst military slaughters in all human history. And it came to pass that my men were hewn down, yea, even my 10,000 who were with me. And I fell wounded in the midst, and they passed by me, that they did not put an end to my life. And when they had gone through and hewn down all my people, save it were twenty and four of us, among whom was my son Moroni, and we having survived the dead of our people, did behold on the morrow, when the Lamanites had returned unto their camps, from the top of the hill Cumorah, the ten thousand of my people who were hewn down, being led in the front by me. And we also beheld the ten thousand of my people who were led by my son Moroni. 
It was fantastic for Moroni to have his contingent of 10,000 hewn down, and yet he escaped. It was probably he who searched for his father and found him severely wounded but still alive. And behold, the 10,000 of Gidgadona had fallen, and he also in the midst. And Lamah had fallen with his 10,000. And Gilgal had fallen with his 10,000. And Limhah had fallen with his ten thousand, and Joniam had fallen with his ten thousand, and Keminihah, and Moronihah, and Antionum, and Shiblam, and Shem, and Josh had fallen with their ten thousand each. And it came to pass that there were ten more who did fall by the sword with their ten thousand each. Yea, even all my people, save it were those twenty and four who were with me and also a few who had escaped into the south countries, and a few who had deserted over unto the Lamanites, had fallen, and their flesh and bones and blood lay upon the face of the earth, being left by the hands of those who slew them to molder upon the land and to crumble and to return to their mother earth. And my soul was rent with anguish because of the slain of my people, and I cried. It would be impossible for any of us to even imagine the sorrow of Mormon as he looked down from the heights of the hill Cumorah and beheld the vast scene of destruction and death that lay all around. Since there were 230,000 in the ranks of the shock troops alone, this would mean that over a million people had died that day. In the deepest despair, Mormon cried out, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen. But behold, ye are fallen, and I mourn your loss. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, ye fair ones, how is it that ye could have fallen? Finally, the fury of the Lamanite attack must have not only struck Mormon with an overwhelming sorrow as he saw his valiant ten thousand butchered all around him, but the deepest anxiety would have been his realization that the thousands of women and children were being hacked, stabbed, and tommyhawked to death in their tents. A portrayal of the battle scene from the Hill Camorra will be found in Volume 4, page 148. Mormon concludes his soul-stirring lamentation with these words, But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring you return, and the day soon cometh that your mortal must put on immortality and these bodies which are now moldering in corruption must soon become incorruptible bodies. And then ye must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to your works. And if it so be that ye are righteous, then are ye blessed with your fathers who have gone before you. Oh, that ye had repented before this great destruction had come upon you, but behold, ye are gone, 
and the Father, yea, the Eternal Father of heaven, knoweth your state, and he doeth with you according to his justice and mercy. If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.